0: Destination is the Stars. Luku. Mika's Story, by Jennifer Anderson. Chapter 1. It was peaceful up here. Deceptively so. Mika bust along, keeping an eye out for rocks that might have tumbled onto the narrow path. Every now and then, between the trees... He caught glimpses of I-70. It looked peaceful down there, too, though he knew that wasn't the case. Stopping at the peak of a steep hill, he shut off his motorcycle and swept binoculars over the highway below. It wasn't so much an interstate now as a parking lot, and graveyard. Bumper to bumper as far as he could see, and very still. No angry, scared, desperate people milling about, with hands or fists raised to the sky. No horns blaring, no lights flashing. Batteries had died and, ironically, cars had run out of fuel as their occupants waited their fate. He wondered how many were still alive, trapped in their expensive tombs. He imagined there were some people holding on, folks who had been smart enough to pack water along with the remnants of their pantries before they headed for the mountains. Not that it mattered. They had nowhere to go. Even if they were alive now, this was where they were going to die. He picked up movement and tracked his binoculars to the right, A woman had flung open the door of a huge vehicle plastered with a Landyat logo. Mika sighed. It hadn't taken long for vehicle manufacturers to label their products what they were. Virtual ships on wheels. The woman looked to be in her forties, her dark hair poking out wildly in all directions. A man popped out of the driver's side and rushed round to confront her. Mika couldn't hear them from up here, but they were obviously arguing. The man kept motioning towards her door, but she was shouting and waving her arms about. Then she ran. The man threw his hands in the air and gave chase. From where he sat, perched on the high hill, Mika urged them to be quiet. But it was too late. Though their actions played out like a silent movie of old, there was no mistaking the sound of the bellow that drifted up to him, all the ones that followed. The effect on the two people below was dramatic. The woman spun around in a circle and began running in earnest. The man lumbered back towards his ship on wheels. He didn't make it. A towering beast, and then another, and then five more came up from the slopes along the side of the road. The first one reached him within seconds, and it dipped its head down, and the man simply was no more. Another beast trumpeted, and took off after the woman, ploughing through the line of cars, knocking them out of the way as if they were toys. She yanked on car doors, desperate for shelter. Finally, a door swung open, and she dove inside, but she was far from safe. The buku butted the truck, rolling it on its side, and then pawed at it until it split in two, Its massive head ducked down and then jerked back up, kicking legs sticking out of its jaws. More buku came charging down the interstate, flipping cars smashing down upon them with their hooves. Here and there, the people who hadn't already succumbed to thirst and the cold crawled out of the wreckages and tried to run. None made it further than a few yards before they were snatched up. Mika turned away. If he had anything in his stomach, he would have lost it. The fact that he had warned everyone, that he had told them this was coming, that he had begged them to eradicate the Buku while they still had a chance, gave him not an ounce of satisfaction. They had been fools. The monsters below and the immense vehicles they were ripping apart were proof they had all been fools. Mika rode on, trying to shake the images from his head. They intermingled with the other horrifying sights he had witnessed in the last few years, and the path blurred in front of him. Realising that tears and narrow mountain roads probably weren't a good combination, he parked his bike. He found a tree to lean against and dug a water bottle and some fruit out of his backpack. As he ate, he thought about Janie. He was so weary of missing her. After two years, he still heard her laughter in the wind and caught sight of her silhouette out of the corner of his eye. At night, he would wake with her voice in his ear, the feel of her skin on his. But it was all illusion. He was alone. Again. Still. God above knew that and didn't seem to care. He had prayed she would come back to him so often that he sometimes whispered the words in a sort of chant when no one was around. Other times he would ask God for someone, at this point anyone, to push back the aloneness that threatened to consume him. His prayers fell on indifferent ears. With the communication networks down, or commandeered by the government, he had been unable to contact Janie, or even find out if she was alive. He could only hope that her connection to Givens was keeping her safe. So few people could claim that these days. His thoughts led him back to the beginning of his journey, not the one that started twenty-four hours ago, riding away from the verdant stretch of soil that had sustained his mother's family for generations. He went back further than that. Past the day he had first realised something was gravely amiss with the world, something gravely wrong with the buku, the giant beasts he had just watched shredding the very vehicles that had galvanised their creation. He was in elementary school when he first studied how, at the age of fourteen, Buddy Givens had read the timeless story of Moby Dick, and had become obsessed with the notion of blubber as a renewable fuel source. Of course, harvesting whales was infinitely impractical, but man had been creating clones for decades by then, and had moved into the realm of altering DNA to custom-design brand-new vertebrates. Young Buddy took the science and ran with it, dreaming up and then devising a hulking land-based mammal, fashioned loosely after the hippopotamus, though three times as large. A genius with a well healed father, Givens had his own lab by the time he was sixteen, He and his team successfully birthed their first Hiptardiodactyl when Buddy was 20. Three years later, in 2065, a year before Mika was born, animals had been released for sale, with the enthusiastic approval and financial backing of the US government. Givens had been right. The Hiptardiodactyl, or Buku as they became known, seemed to be just what the globe needed. They reproduced quickly. They were full grown in a year. Their blubber, when fully processed, burned clean. As more and more farmers and ranchers and suburban landowners leapt into the oil business, the world became a better place to live. Cars and homes got bigger as energy prices took a nosedive. Technology exploded. Air pollution and carbon dioxide decreased dramatically, halting and even reversing the progress of global warming. Developing nations skipped entire decades as they raced to catch up with their wealthy neighbours. The inhabitants of planet Earth experienced a boom like no other not even the North American drought dampened in the spirit of triumph. In exchange for land to raise more buku, food was shipped wherever it was needed. There was a sense that now that he was creator, man could solve all his problems. He could master his environment. He could be God. Mika had to admit that was the way he felt on that sunny morning four years ago, before he saw the videos, before he had any inkling that Givens had stepped over a line that should never have been approached. <laughs>